Welcome to Econ Cafe 2020-21. I'm Mike Mandel, author of the textbook, Economics the Basics. And I'm Sean Flynn, author of Economics for Dummies and co-author of the McConnell Principles of Economics textbook. And we're here today to talk about the stock market and the COVID recession. Now, I want to emphasize before we get started that we're doing this podcast at the beginning of October. The stock market has been going up and down. And I assume that whenever you're listening to this, they will have been going up and down again. So we're not going to talk about what happened yesterday or today or what even might happen tomorrow. But we're going to talk about some general principles of how the stock market and the economy are linked together and who owns stocks and what it means and putting this in perspective. But first, uh, I'm going to ask Sean to talk a little bit about the difference between wealth and income because stock market is a form of wealth. You know, Mike, beforehand here, we were talking about good examples of this. And I think your example of uh, peas, right? Buying cans of peas. You buy some cans each week at the grocery store. You use some. The number of cans of peas, if you just look in your cupboard right now, it could be zero, right, for a lot of people. But number of cans of peas, that's a stock, meaning a current quantity in existence right now. But then there's flows. There's flows in. When you go to the market, you buy more cans of peas to put on the shelf. And then there's flows out when you consume. And so wealth is a stock in this sense, not of you know buying stock in a company, but in the sense of a snapshot in time. How much wealth do you have in your checking accounts? Now, there's money flowing in right, from your job, and then there's money flowing out as you spend. Those are called flows by economists. So you've got flows in and out of your checking account. And so therefore, the wealth level goes up and down as a result. But so wealth is a snapshot in time. Income are the changes in how much you're, you've got, you possess. Let's talk about types of wealth. We've got your checking account. We've got the value of your car, the value of your consumer electronics, which may be quite expensive, depending on how many, what you what you own. Uh, you've got the value, perhaps, of your ownership of corporate stocks or corporate equities, which are, you know, we're using the same word, which is stocks. So there's the stock connected to wealth, and then there's sort of corporate stocks, which is something else altogether. And what other types of wealth are there? More generally, there's the wealth that all the skills you have, we call it human capital, the value of a used car, if you own a car uh, outright. Your retirement funds. Yeah. If you own a small business and you own it 100%, you know, you, you have the right to sell that small business to someone else. Now, the thing about, the thing about wealth is that wealth, income is well-defined. You see the dollars coming in, you see the dollars coming out. Wealth is not is not so well defined. The value of a home is the value that somebody's willing to pay for it. The value of your car is the value that a car dealer or somebody else is willing to pay. I mean, you can look it up what the estimated value might be, but it really depends on what you're going to get. The last time that I sold a car, I discovered that when I had bought it, it had been in an accident. I had never known it. So it was actually worth less than I thought. That car was less valuable than I thought it was for the five years that I was driving it. Corporate stocks, the stock market is the same way. Corporate stocks are represent profits. Oh, yes, yes. Well, they're, they're, they're people's expectations uh, about profits. So if I'm going to buy, if I got two companies whose shares I could buy where, you know, and shares are just ownership rights. If you own, you know, stock in, say, Alphabet, which owns Google, and they have uh, a lot of profits this year, you get an equal share of the profits. So basically what you're buying is 
future profits, an equal share of them. And so if a company looks like it's going to do really well in the future, for whatever reason, it could be their own efforts, it could be because the economy just in general is booming. But if it looks like it's going to be highly profitable, you're willing to pay more right now for that share in the company, that, that stock, but much less if you think the company is going to have be sort of blah or maybe even at risk of going bankrupt, right? Why pay for something if they're going to have no profits in the future? So it's the expectations about future profits that drive the stock market. Now, expectations is an interesting word because we don't know really what's going to happen. It's what people believe might happen in the future. And that can change over time. Yes, yes. And day by day, minute by minute, some of it are uh, sort of irrational changes or just fear of the unknown. Like when COVID hit, all the world's stock markets fell because people didn't know how bad it was going to be. As times evolved here, like in the United States, the overall level of the stock market is returned to approximately where it was before the pandemic hit. But um, that doesn't mean that every single company's shares have returned to the same pre-COVID level. There's entire industries like airlines, tourism. Movie theaters. There's, yeah, movie theaters where um, these some of these companies are going to be permanently going under. And therefore, right now, because things are the prospects are so bad, their stock values are really down. On the other hand, there are a few companies where the stock market, the values like Amazon have gone way up because people have been ordering a lot more home delivery during the pandemic. So, And companies that are, that are producing, that are developing vaccines, COVID vaccines or, or COVID treatments have done pretty well too because the assumption is that the, the market will be there for them. Now, you know, the problem is, of course, is that in the end, some of these companies will actually develop a working vaccine and some of them may fail. So these stock values can change very, very suddenly. There's no guarantees here. You know, if you had gone back to the, the 1990s, you could have invested in Amazon in its early years and uh, you would have done extremely well. On the other hand, you could have invested in another tech company that might have failed. Okay? You don't know. There's very little certainty that have to do with the stock market. That's right. And the investors themselves know there's very little certainty, which is why they can change their minds so easily, right? You're, there's three tech stocks to take, you know, to potentially buy. So today the first one looks shiny and bright and like an object to me, but then tomorrow I hear something about the next one. And so I sell the first one to get the money to buy the next one. And so, yes, even the people involved know that uh, in, in large measure, they're, uh, you know, there's risk, right? There are things that you can't account for and they are playing a risky game. This is why a lot of investors restrict themselves to buying big chunks of the stock market, sort of diversifying over broadly so that they protect themselves. If one stock does poorly, another stock will do well. What's the long-term trends on, on the stock market? So for the stock market as a whole, like if you bought every stock and just waited a year, on average, the stock market goes up about 10% a year. But there's huge volatility. Some years it goes up 30, other years it falls 15. So it's not a predictable 10% increase. There's a lot of volatility. And that average also disguises huge differences in uh, the stock uh, trajectories of different particular companies, whether they're going up or down. It's a 10% average increase, but in any, any year where you actually get 10%, some of the companies are doing really, really well, and several are heading towards bankruptcy and their stock prices are falling to zero. So let's actually look at a little bit of the macroeconomic effect of price movements. Suppose the stock market fell by 10% tomorrow and stayed down. What effect would that have on the broader economy? 
Um, well, it's it's quite modest. It might, you know, if people see their wealth falling, you know, they look at their exchange account, like they have an account with Vanguard or Fidelity or one of these big finance management companies. If it's down 10%, hmm, their, uh, their, their change in their actual behavior now, how many cans of peas am I going to buy? It looks like it may be at most a tenth of a tenth, right? So 1%. And so the, uh, and that's, that's the biggest we think it might be. It might actually be much lower. So Governments have tended not to try and um, assume that by uh, changing the value of wealth, they'll have much effect on consumption. They've left that alone pretty much. Now, let's talk a little bit about the distribution of stocks across the economy, ownership of corporate equities. As it happens, the Federal Reserve does a survey every three years called the Survey of Consumer Finance, where they ask households what they own, how much wealth they have. And that has just come out as of September 2020. And here's some interesting numbers. If we look at families with incomes below in the lower half of the income distribution, about 30% of them have direct or indirect ownership of corporate equities with a a median value of $10,000. So that's not very much. If you look at the top of the income distribution, which is the top 10% of families, Almost all of them own stock directly or indirectly with a median value of $440,000. So what it turns out is that stock market wealth is much more unequally distributed than income is. It is highly skewed towards the top. So when you look at the stock movements and you sort of see that, you say to yourself, what does this have to do with me? Well, it may not. For a lot of people, it doesn't have very much effect on what directly on what your financial position is. Yes. And, and the fact that it's the high income households that have the most wealth also means they're the most exposed to changes in wealth if the stock market goes up and down. And that could be one of the reasons why we don't see much of an effect of changes in stock market values on people's consumption, because they, they base their consumption on their high incomes rather than whether or not their stock portfolio is up 10% or 3%, 5%. And so that's nice in some sense that the huge volatility of the stock market that's based on changing expectations doesn't immediately dump over into people's purchasing behavior, right? Because we'd have a much more volatile economy if anytime the stock market fell 30%, people stops, uh, cut their spending on you know food and clothing and rent and cars or anything by the same amount. And so there's this sort of built-in stabilizer there that most people look to their income rather than these wealth changes to determine, you know, how much am I spending today? I mean, it's an interesting question then why so much attention is paid to the stock market. And, you know, partly it's because the stock market not only affects the economy, but reflects what's going on in the economy. It's something that does tell us a bit about whether the economy, people think the economy is going to do well or not. But it's important to realize that when you hear commentators talk about the stock market, there's this because of this, okay, or you you read it in the newspaper, that they don't know. They're just kind of guessing. This very odd pattern where you know, the stock market went way down and then came all the way back up, even though the pandemic kept going, is not necessarily anything that a lot of people would have expected beforehand. Some people expected it. Some people didn't. I know that I didn't expect it. I expected that if you had told me 
that we'd be still enmeshed in a deep recession as of the fall, I would have expected the stock market to be lower at this point. Yes, and you wouldn't have been alone. I think Paul Krugman, Nobel Prize winner, had a sort of similar sentiment back in March and April. And so this is, this is one of the reasons where this is an aspect of the economy, an aspect of life where expert opinion really shouldn't be taken that seriously. Now, that's not true if you need to have a brain tumor removed and the doctor, you want an expert opinion. But because there's so much volatility and so much that's unpredictable here, I personally tell people not to worry about you know their day-to-day or month-to-month fluctuations in their stock portfolios because nobody knows with any certainty, especially for specific stocks, specific companies, whether they're going to do really well or really poorly. I think that we need to go back at this point and emphasize the importance of diversification as, as a way, you know, we, we, this is not a stock market program. We're not telling you to invest in the stock market. We're not telling you what stocks to buy. We're not telling you any of these things because after all, we're economists and not stock pickers. But we will tell you, we will tell you that diversification, if you are invested in the stock market, diversification is important because of the difficulty of predicting individual stocks. Now, of course, I will tell you that I've invested in some individual stocks because I happen to think that I know some things other people don't know, but I probably don't. I'm probably just fooling myself. I won't ask you what you're invested in, but I will ask you, I will ask you, uh, Sean, if you had to make a guess right now, this is October of 2020, where do you think the stock market is going to be in October of 2021? And uh, don't tell me about the presidential election. Okay, I don't want to know. Um, so it's uh, it's probably, you know, based on historical trends, going to be up about 10%. But there's so much volatility in average stock prices movements that it could be up 30, it could be down, it'd be negative 10%. And I really can't tell you any, any precision, except that on average, I'm expecting 10%. But there's so much volatility that you could either be terrified or overjoyed. Now, now, this is why this is why you'd never be a great stock picker at this point, because nobody's going to go for this. Thank you very much, Sean. No, thank you, Mike. In this podcast, we talk about the stock market and the COVID recession. First, we discuss the difference between wealth and income. Your investment in the stock market, if you have any, is one form of wealth. Other forms of wealth include your checking account, the value of your car, your consumer electronics, and the value of your home, net of your mortgage debt, if you own your own home. If you own a small business, the value of that business is also a form of wealth. The value of your skills, knowledge, and training is a form of wealth called human capital. Income is well-defined. You see the dollars coming in. But wealth is not so well-defined. The value of a home depends on how much a buyer is willing to pay for it. The value of your car, if you're going to sell it, is what a buyer is willing to pay for it, not some absolute number. It's the same thing for the stock market, which is composed of shares of corporate stock, otherwise known as equity. The value of a share of stock depends on the expected profits of the company. So if a company looks like it's going to do really well in the future and make a lot of profits, the value of the stock should be high. It's the expectations about future profits that drive the stock market. We emphasize that expectations can change quickly. When the COVID pandemic hit earlier this year, the world's stock markets fell sharply because people didn't know how bad it was going to be. Entire industries like airlines, tourism, movie theaters are still suffering with low expectations about future profits. E-commerce and tech companies have seen the price of their stock soar, and so have many companies developing vaccines. But any of these expectations could quickly shift the other direction. For example, a vaccine might not be approved, in which case the stock price of that company would fall suddenly. Invest stock market investors know that there is risk. That's why many diversify over the entire stock market rather than picking a small number of stocks. On average, the stock market as a whole goes up about 10% a year. 
but it's not predictable. Some years it goes up 30%, some years down 15%. Next on the podcast, we talk about the impact that these fluctuations have on the whole economy. If the stock market falls by 10%, it turns out the impact on consumer behavior is likely to be quite modest. Partly that's due to the distribution of stock market wealth, otherwise known as ownership of corporate equities. Looking at families with incomes below the lower half of the income distribution, about 30% of them have direct or indirect ownership of corporate equities with a median value of $10,000. Not very much. By contrast, the top 10% of families typically own stock with a median value of $440,000. So stock market wealth is much more unequally distributed than income. That means shifts in stock market wealth are less likely to affect consumption. It's important to remember that the stock market is difficult to forecast. We hear commentators talk about why the stock market goes up and down. Mostly they don't know. That's why diversification is important. As always, thanks very much for listening.